Well, thank you so much for the kind welcome. It's a great privilege to be here at Tyndale. We have many rich links with Tyndale at the Met and many friends who have passed through these doors. So it's a great joy for me to be here and for me to be here on this day of significance, I think, in the life of this institution. As we come to the word of God, may I invite us to come before our Father in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the great privilege of listening to your voice through your living and enduring word. And we pray that in these brief moments together around your word this morning, you would feed us and teach us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I tend to think that if the first half of January is all about making New Year's resolutions, the second half of January is very often, regrettably, about breaking those resolutions. That decision, perhaps, for me to close the cupboard door on the Christmas chocolates that still remain, the decision to get back to the gym, perhaps to get ahead of schedule on those school assignments, to set the alarm earlier, in the morning. It's made with such sincerity, isn't it, at the beginning of the year, and it is so easily abandoned just a few days later. We're good at making resolutions. We're sometimes even better at breaking them. But here is one resolution I'd like to suggest that we should make if we have not yet made it, and that we should keep if we have indeed committed ourselves to it. I want to encourage us this morning to be students, serious students, and students of a particular kind in 2020. I know you've been considering these historic Christian spiritual disciplines recently in chapel, and as mentioned already, today's discipline is the discipline of study. Here at Tyndale, you have the great privilege of devoting time to studying a whole range of different disciplines and areas of knowledge. But whatever your field, whatever your particular discipline and focus here at Tyndale, I want to offer this specific and simple encouragement in 2020. I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, to be simply a student of the Word of God in the year ahead, a people with a deep, heartfelt passion for the Word of God. Psalm 1, as was read for us, sets out a supreme model of such a person, a person who feeds daily on the Word of God, who applies his or her mind to the Word of God, who stands resolutely apart from the wicked, and in so doing flourishes before God and knows the Lord's salvation. It's a beautiful model for life, isn't it? It's a perfect model for us to aspire to as a people of God in 2020. But I want to say right at the outset, as we consider this model and the encouragement that it gives us, I want to say right at the outset that this is a model that you and I will not actually manage to live up to on our own. The resolution to delight in the law of God, to feed on the word of God, to meditate upon it and apply our minds to it, it will quickly become a failed resolution, a broken resolution if it's all down to me in my strength. 
And I think we need to see that and recognize it honestly before we get very far into it at all. It's often been observed that the Psalms, most of which are written by King David, as you know, it's often been observed that the Psalms find their fulfillment in the greater king who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus often takes the words of the Psalms upon his own lips, and he does that because he fulfills what they point to. And so the Lord Jesus, who fulfills the Psalms as the great king who was to come, he teaches us, his saved people, how to sing the Psalms and how to recite their verses in our hearts and our lives. He teaches us how to join in their melodies in the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice how our psalm begins. It is not blessed is anyone who, or blessed is the type of person who. No, the psalmist says blessed is the one who, the particular one, the supreme model of godliness. This is a model with ultimately one person in view who fulfills it. And as we think of that, it actually makes great sense of Psalm 1, a very familiar psalm to us. Jesus is the one who delighted in the Father's words, who would not live as the wicked lived, who was entirely rejected by the crowd of the wicked, even to the point of death. But remember how the story ends not with the grave, but with the sky. The father gloriously overturned the verdict of a scornful society and of a scornful world. He proved the mockers wrong about Jesus. And the son who trusted in the father was raised to the place of supreme glory and authority at the father's right hand. Psalm 1, it's about Jesus. Before it can be about us. He is the one who merits supremely the blessing of the Father, and he shares that blessing with us, his people. And so if we want to live a, a Psalm 1 kind of life as students of the word, if we're going to have any hope of being this kind of a people in 2020, we're only going to do so in relationship with the Lord Jesus, in dependency upon his spirit and with his daily moment-by-moment -moment help. So in dependence on the Lord Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit within us, what's it going to look like? What's it going to require to be a people of the word, true students of the word in 2020? Well, very briefly, the psalmist shows us that it's going to require both a distinctiveness and a delight. I want to consider each of those very briefly in turn. Being students of the word, it requires, first of all, a distinctiveness, a distinctiveness from the world around us and from the society in which we live. Notice again, verses one and two, let me read them for us again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Blessing comes to the one, says the psalmist, who does not walk in step with the wicked living as the world lives, taking on board the advice and the outlook of a people who simply don't know the Lord and whose worldview is fundamentally different and so often, often at odds. Blessing comes to the one who does not stand in the way of the sinners, joining with the crowd as one of them, who does not sit in the company of mockers, 
participating with them as they pour scorn on the word of God and even the people of God. Friends, if we belong to the Lord and if we love the Lord Jesus, if we're his holy people set apart for him, well, we need to be determined in the days ahead to stand apart from the crowd. We need to be robustly distinctive. That's what the psalm is calling us to in our outlook, in our worldview, and in our ethical framework. And as we consider that challenge, we need to just be honest this morning about how very, very difficult that is in our age, in our society. It's an age of opportunity, but it's a challenging age as well. Our society is one that really dislikes absolute truth claims. And within such a context, it's very, very difficult to insist upon the fact that there is but one God and one way to God, even Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. You know, that basic affirmation, that core affirmation of the Christian faith, it is now grossly offensive to our society. It's difficult to say it, isn't it? It's offensive because it insists that other religious beliefs, however sincerely held and honestly held, are simply not true of God. Canada's in the global media spotlight just at the moment for a number of reasons, but one of them is, of course, you won't have failed to notice, one of them is that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are planning to move here. You can't have failed to notice that. It's all over the media. I was interested to read a little piece that appeared just the other day in London's Guardian newspaper, a piece written actually by a Canadian journalist based in London trying to explain Canadian culture to the Brits, and it was very interesting. Anyway, the paper observed that Canadians, and I quote, even many of the country's so-called thought leaders are apt to follow the country's unofficial national motto. And it's this, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. The article goes on to list among our national core values the following values. Fear of causing offense, tolerance of boredom, that was interesting, and general aversion to controversy of any kind. Well, I think we have to agree that there is at least some core of truth to what's being said there. In such a cultural context where we fear causing offense above all other fears, making absolute truth claims about God and religion, it's entirely unacceptable, isn't it? It's the great no-no of our age and our land. If our basic theology and core convictions are offensive to the society around us, so especially is our ethic. It's very sobering, I think, as we watch what's going on and as we read in the media and stay up to date, as I, I hope you do, it's very sobering to see how in the public realm, certain views associated with a Christian ethic are seen as being so very, very toxic. Any public figure who dares question Canada's prevailing mores when it comes to issues surrounding the value of life or sexual ethics or behavior. Anyone who dares question or argue against those mores quickly becomes very, very toxic in the public realm, and you'll have seen that happen. The hot-button issues, they're, they're familiar enough to us, but the challenge of Christian distinctiveness for a people of the word, it runs deeper than all that, and it's often more subtle. I think we all find it very hard, if we're being honest, I think we're all, we all find it very hard to swim against the tide of materialism 
and ambition in our very prosperous society in Canada. Simply making some life choices, and you'll be making some life choices, I guess, at this point. Simply making life choices that aren't all about getting ahead and amassing as much wealth as possible. Those choices look absurd to the world around us. And we find it hard not to live as everyone else lives, living as though this world were all that there is. I have a friend in ministry who was sharing with me a story just the other day of how he was denied a mortgage when he first took up his uh, first ministry role, his first paid role in a church. He, he transitioned out of secular employment where he was successful and he had great opportunities in his career. He transitioned out of that and he moved to a new town to start working uh, for a church. And when the bank told his mortgage broker why it was that they had decided to refuse his application, they said to his mortgage broker, they said, we think your client must be kind of stupid. <laughs> we think your client must be kind of stupid. You know, he made more money in his old job, and here he is moving to a new place to do a kind of work he's never done before to make less money. It doesn't make any sense to us. Sorry, we aren't able to offer him a mortgage at this time. Who would do such a thing? Who would make such life choices? It's folly, isn't it, in the eyes of our world? Friends, it's going to take the Lord's grace and a settled determination to live distinctively as a people of the word of God. But to sustain us in that kind of life, in a Psalm 1 kind of life, we need not only a determined distinctiveness but also a heartfelt delight. Verse 2 again, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. If we're going to be people, and I trust we are, if we're going to be a people who will not stand or walk or sit with the wicked, we need to be those who find our delight in the law of the Lord, who find our joy in his word. It's no good, of course, being those who simply force and kind of corral ourselves into studying and meditating upon the word of God. We won't sustain a daily habit of that, a daily diet of it for very long if it's a matter of sheer willpower. What we need to do is ask God to give us in his kindness a taste for his word. No kids naturally like taking medicine. I guess you know that. But it's a whole lot easier for them if they develop a little bit of a taste for it. As Mary Poppins said, in a day before sugar was seen as quite so unhealthy and quite so bad, just a spoonful of sugar, it, it helps the medicine go down. We have three young kids at home back in Ottawa, and one of our kids in particular has always absolutely hated taking any kind of medicine. As a matter of course, as a matter of principle, he absolutely rejects anything we try and give him right off the bat. I, I remember once having to give him antibiotics in a liquid form. He needed the medicine. It was really important uh, that he got it. We got the prescription from the doctor, and the pharmacy made it up in yellow, which presumably means something approximating to banana flavor. But unsurprisingly, our little guy, he simply would not touch the stuff. I couldn't blame him. It looked disgusting. <laughs> so we went back to the pharmacy kind of with our tail between our legs and asked if they didn't have one, you know, in red, like berry flavor or something like that. And eventually, I think they found some in the back and 
made it up and we did get it down him more or less. Sinful human beings, fallen human beings don't naturally like the taste of the word of God. That is not part of the post-Eden palate in our natural state. And the Lord, he has to give us a taste for his word. He has to make it sweet to us. He has to give us that delight as a gift of his spirit. And of course, our gracious father, he can do that. And he does do it. As we come to Jesus, as we learn of him, as we see his kindness. And haven't we seen his kindness? And as we see his goodness and his mercy and his grace, you know what he does for us? He gives us a taste for his word. It becomes sweet to us. Often in the morning, I'll make a big mug of coffee with the intention of going to read my Bible. But while I'm still waking up and kind of coming to it, takes, I'm not a morning person, it takes me a while. While the coffee is brewing, I'll often just glance on the phone at, my, at the uh, news headlines. And of course, it's mostly bad news most of the time. It's mostly concerning It's mostly discouraging, I find. And so when I then turn to the word of God, having checked in with the world, it is such a wonderful contrast. I experience that almost every day. The messiness and the sin and the brokenness of the world around us, which the news tells us of in ample measure every morning, it highlights for me the wholesomeness and the goodness and the purity the sheer sweetness of the word of God. And delighting in the word, we learn to do what the model believer does in verse two. We learn as we develop that taste for it, we learn to meditate upon it, to devote our mind to it and to do so day and night. We learn to give our time and attention and the energy of our intellect to listening to God's word, to thinking about it, to internalizing it, and to modifying our behavior and our outlook in the light of it. It's so easy, isn't it? Even if we know the goodness and the sweetness of the word, it's so easy, I find, to fall out of that habit of simply reading it personally and meditating on it. I think we all know how easy it is to become distracted and to become busy because we're all busy. I know we are. And it's so easy for the word quietly and slowly but surely to become marginalized in our lives. And I guess most of us here know exactly what I'm talking about because we'll all have had seasons like that. And I think it's hard as a university student, as a seminary student, to build and maintain that habit. I was speaking to a university student in our congregation in Ottawa just on Sunday morning. He's a medical student, and we were talking about busyness and about time. And I just gave him the encouragement that the patterns he sets now as a student will be the ones he keeps. We all need to learn the model of verse 2. We need to ask the Lord Jesus to develop and grow and renew this delight in our hearts We need to determine by his grace to be those who will meditate on the law day and night. Here at Tyndale, if you're studying theology, you're going to have some very, very special opportunities to meditate on the word of God under some very fine teaching. But whatever your field of study, whatever your course, whatever your focus, your discipline, if you're a follower of Christ, here is a very, very simple encouragement I want to bring you. Be a student of the word 
in 2020. If you've got that habit and that inclination, that determination, may I encourage you by the power of God's spirit, keep it. And if you don't have that pattern, if that's not something that's developed and grown yet in your life as a follower of Christ, may I encourage you simply make 2020 the year where you become a daily student of the living word of God. In Canada today, we desperately need a new generation of leaders whose hearts and whose minds are saturated with the word of God, who have meditated on it to such an extent that their worldview and their outlook is shaped by God's own word and who are ready to go out into the world as a people of the word, as a Psalm 1 type of people who will live for Christ and model Christ and proclaim Christ for the glory of Christ. May I lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for him who is the bread of life. And we thank you that we have in our hands your living word. By your grace and for your glory, make us a true people of your word. For we pray it in our Savior's name.